Hello and welcome to The Dirt in association with Beer 52. Keep listening to find out how you can get your hands on eight craft beers for free. Just pay postage. This is the podcast that understands that loam wasn't built in a day, so enjoy the growing process. I'm Laura, editor of Grow Your Own magazine. And I'm GYO's deputy editor, Blake. Rose is off enjoying a few days off work this week, so instead we'll be joined by our account manager, Dan, to catch up on the latest gardening news later. But first, though, joining us from his home in Wales is retired head gardener and author, Mike Thurlow. Hi, Mike. Good afternoon. How are you today? How is how is the weather out in Wales? It's turning into autumn now. We've had a glorious um, summer, shall we say. Really hot, very warm, 30 degrees for about a week or so. And then the weather broke with a storm and it's been cold ever since. Not too much rain, though. We've been talking about this a bit this week, haven't we, Laura, and how the changing of the seasons actually, every time one comes around, it's quite nice. It's even, you know, I'm sure I'll get bored of it being autumn in a, in a few months. But at the moment, it's quite nice feeling it cool down and being able to put on a nice warm jumper and, and potter about out in the garden. Yeah, well, it's, it's put lots of things under stress, I think, you know, and they've struggled to cope with the, with the heat rather than a lack of water. Mm. That's very true. I think we had, um, there was a period of time there where everything in the garden just looked like it was absolutely just wilting. It was, yeah. Yeah, well, I, I live I live 600 feet up on the side of a mountain. And of course, the other thing we have to take into contention is the wind. Oh, of course. Yes, I bet. That's, I mean, we've had bad wind here recently, but I imagine up there it's been, it's been quite a... It's difficult. a bit blasty. <laughs> it's... Um, it, you know, sort of swings round the house, and because um, we have neighbours, and it funnels between the two, so everything on the one side of the garden has a forty-five degree lean. Mm. So, are the what measures do you have to take in with your crops and stuff to help mitigate that? Well, re- really, I think you have to sort of garden with what you're given, and um, it, it's a question of make sure if you put the bean sticks up, they really are secure. and see that will be the next job we'll be getting them down um and try and sort of shelter shelter plants as best you can either by giving the sprouts stake early on it's just that you it's so unpredictable you know the wind it can be a warm summer's day and the wind just blows through it's a bit like the mistral completely unpredictable and so before we dive into any gardening mishaps we, we like to ease our guests in gently by starting with any real growing successes in your, in your career. Can you tell us about any of the moments that have been really brilliant? Um, it's been a couple along the way. I, th- I think I've, al- I've always enjoyed growing onions mm. of, of all descriptions. And uh, I've always grown them from seed. And because my daughter was born on Boxing Day, um, it sort of suited the, the timetable. So I used to sow the onions on Boxing Day, which was her birthday, and and then they would grow, and i plant them out sort of towards the end of March into early April, and I've always enjoyed growing them. And the other thing, I suppose, which is sort of slightly not in my garden, was um, growing peaches in the greenhouse at Audley End for the first time. Oh, wow. And uh, I remember seeing Jeffrey Smith years and years and years ago, um, brilliant gardener, and he had trained a peach against a wall. I think it was in Harwood House, I think. I'm not certain. And um, he picked the peach for the first time, and he said, I make no apologies for slurping as he bit into <laughs> it. 
And then he said, oh, I forgot. And the other thing you need when you bite into a peach taken nice and warm, fresh from the wall is a, is a towel to dry yourself, you know, because <laughs> juice runs down your arm. And I always wanted to do that. And we managed it at Audley End, you know, and uh, it, it is a special sort of um, feeling to, to just take a peach straight off it, still warm, mm. bite into it, and you can't escape it. The juice just gets everywhere. So that's that's a personal thing, you know. Yeah. Um, and with your onions, do you have any favourite varieties that you would recommend to the listeners? Or The one I, I, I would recommend is, is um, Golden Bear. It's it's resistant to some forms of mildew, and it it's a beautiful onion. And I grew it years and years and years ago, and it sort of made it in the kitchen, had the approval of the lady of the house. And um, so I, I've I would recommend that one because you just need to grow things that are going to work for you, don't you? Yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that's the thing. If it can tick the tick the boxes for the gardener of the house and the chef of the house, then you are onto a good thing. But they, they, they were beautiful onions, I have to say. You know, I don't like sort of bragging, but um, I brought them home and she was, she, she, was, she was quite impressed. You know, just, you know, at first she accused me of not growing them, but um, <laughs> st- st- stealing them from somebody else. But, yeah, uh, I've always en- enjoyed growing from seed. I find sets are easy, easier in some ways, but it, if they get a cold spell, it knocks them back a bit. And... Um, you know, sort of, and with the weather pattern the way that it's going now, um, you can't really rely on it and the, the way you used to. So, um, and I just enjoy it, the entire process, sowing the seed, pricking them out, seeing them grow, and then harvesting them at the end of summer. So you, so you mentioned there that you worked at Audley End House. Um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that and, and your career, um, your varied career in horticulture. Um, I, I went to Horticultural College and asked, with every intention of making lots of money, becoming a, a nurseryman and growing lots of plants and selling them. And then we went for a visit to Westbury Court, not far from Gloucester. And there was walled fruit and ornamental plants. And the thing that struck me straight away, everything was dated so you knew when it was introduced. And you just looked at it and it looked so beautiful. And I thought, this is what I want to do. And from that moment, I gave up the idea of being a nurseryman and sort of thought, right, one day I hope to become a head gardener. So from Usk, I went to Dufferin Gardens in South Wales, which is the garden of Reginald Corey. Um, and now it's been taken on by the National Trust. So mm-hmm. hopefully its future is secure now because there was some doubt with the reorganisation of local government in Wales about the future of it. Um when the reorganisation came in, I left Dufferin to go lecturing for a bit at Penkoy College. But I must admit, I found the um, the students had the best time. It was much more exciting to hear them talking about going off to jobs and doing different jobs. And I didn't last very long. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a job at Aberglasney when Aberglasney was just starting up. Uh-huh. And um, that it was... It was exciting to be there and just to look at this thing. It was a complete and utter ruin. And you think, where would you start? How would you begin to do it? And um, it was quite an education to see the, the chaps come in and just pull all the walls down 
and rebuild them because the walls were all overgrown. There were yew trees, sycamores growing out of them, all sorts. And uh, just to watch it, you think, well, really, um, with the time and a certain amount of cash, almost anything is possible. And I left there and um, ended up at Barnsdale in, in Rutland. And uh, the job at Audley End came along and I applied for that. And I, well, as I say, it, it was sort of the, the, I say, oh, the cherry on the cake then, you know, to mm. be able to restore a work in Victorian kitchen garden that was managed organically. Mm. So you kind of focus on heritage varieties a lot in that garden, right? Yeah, um, we grew over a hundred, and I was fortunate enough because the to to get the job at Audley End, um, I was employed by Garden Organic, yeah. and of course they've got the Heritage Seed Library, mm-hmm. and I just plundered that every time, and we saved our own seed, and it's it's sort of it added to I think to the experience because you you went through the difficulties that some plants have at being cultivated there. Um, but it, it was, I think the real test was that managing a Victorian kitchen garden using organic methods, because when you think about the Victorian sort of to control club root, they use calomel paste dust, which is mercury based. And to control the potato blight, it was Bordeaux mixture. And but the sort of the main uh, insecticide was arsenic. So you think by the time that you've done your crop rotations and been around a few times in the Victorian period, you're just about managed to poison everybody. <laughs> but, it, but it worked. And as I say, the thing that we discovered there, you know, the gardening team, was a lot of the resistance and the um, ability to withstand some of the rigours, you know, of, of the garden was actually bred into the plants and the, the fruit trees themselves. Yeah. And, uh, and that's why I say, you know, sort of when you um, look through a catalogue, look for everything that's pest resistant, disease resistant, go for that one. And I guess if you're a home gardener as well, then saving the seeds of, of um, crops that have done well can be one way to prevent certain things like that as well. They tend to build up a good resistance, you know, to your garden and, and, what, what, um, and some of the obstacles they might face, right? Yeah, well, this, this is one of the... Well, reasons I think heritage seed library came about because when they were rationalising the seed varieties that were grown in the country, they were sort of saying, well, using onward pea for an example, you know, a pea would start off as onward and it would be grown somewhere else and it would be given another name and grow somewhere. But all the time, these the, the, it was just adapting to local conditions. Mm. And this is what happens when you, you save your own seed. So, um it's it's not as straightforward as it seems because it's it's you know if if the seed isn't dried enough, um, we used to collect the seed and send it up to the seed library at Wrighton, and they would look after it there for us. But um, you you can with some. You just just want to make this sure that the seed is is ripe and dry when it goes into store. And of course, they all have limited lives, so um, some of the seed will last six years, some will last ten. But if it goes through into sort of deep storage or deep freezing, then it'll keep indefinitely. Um, Well, bringing you on to another side of your gardening career, can you tell us about any of your mishaps or things that haven't gone quite as, quite to plan? Oh, I'm sure I can find one. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
the, the biggest mishap was falling out out of a stepladder. That, that oh, wasn't oh, very no. pleasant, but uh, um, it was all right till I hit the ground. Um, <laughs> but no, my my biggest frustration was growing carrots. Right, it was always you know problems with carrot root fly mm. and growing on an allotment site. Um, it's very difficult. You, you can take all steps to protect your crops. But, you know, people are coming down, thinning their carrots to grow another other crops and things are happening. It's very difficult. Mm. Um, but I'm, I'm talking about 1970 now. And um, I went down there one day and sort of, and the carrots were just germinating, and I watered them with lindane, which was a recommended um, chemical to use for controlling carrot root fly. And... What happened was, around about that time, there was lots of sort of um, traffic in the newspapers on about how dangerous lindane was. And when I discovered it, because it was really, really sort of nasty, I went straight over the allotment, because we had a young family at the time, and I dug the carrots up and I described them and made a decision there and then to be organic as possible. And... um, Never, I've never sort of gone back from that. So it, 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 it was one of those things. That now, of course, there are not plenty, but there are ways and means around it for growing healthy carrots. It's really interesting that you can pinpoint the moment that you went organic. I think that's that's really interesting because I think it's probably for a lot of people a kind of gradual realization that you want to grow more naturally but it's quite interesting that yours was sort of a moment where you thought no I'm gonna do this now yeah it's 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 when I read this article on on Lindane and how dangerous it was and the things that were in the paper round about that time don't ask me why a friend of mine he was um getting into Henry Devilly HDRA as Garden Organic used to be and he lent me some books and pamphlets that they had, and you read it a little bit more. And there was um, Lawrence Hill has written a um, pest without pest, killing pests without pesticides, and they were sort of what were considered to be natural um, chemicals. Um, some of them you can't use now, but it, it just grew from that. And of course, Jeff Hamilton was on Gardener's World, and. He had a, a trial in the garden at Barnsdale and he used um, artificial chemicals on one, natural products on another, identical crops, and then absolutely nothing at all on the, on the third. And he found that the, the organic came out on top. Wow. Oh. And he made the decision there and then that Barnsdale would be managed organically. And I always say if you want to be convinced that organic gardening really does work than just a visit Barnston any time of the year. Um, so there were lots of things going on, you know, sort of just to support you, really. And um, I've, ne- I've never thought about it. It takes about six years with your own plot, with your own garden. You have to reestablish the food chains and everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not an instant sort of thing. And I think the... The first couple of years take a bit of getting through because when we were at Audley End, we, we were growing broad beans and they were covered in black fly. And I said, just wait, just wait. And then the ladybirds appeared and began to clean them up because if you haven't got the, the, the prey, then the predator won't visit your garden. I think it's really interesting there that you said um, 
that the organic methods were actually better because I think often you know obviously for some people maybe the health or the environmental reasons for going organic will sway them to to make that change but I think if you can prove that actually this is just a better way you'll get better results then that's you'll you'll get a lot more people as well so yeah um yes it's a good way of convincing people yeah it's I think you know sort of it's um you don't realize how much damage you do using chemicals and sort of just and how simple it is so sort of um you know just to encourage in beneficial insects and you can grow the plants to support them back into your garden the taste i always say is always in so we say that the mind of the person that's eating something but um obviously you know you, you look at apples and apples commercially at that time were sprayed 15 times during the course of a season mm-hmm. And um, we grew, you know, sort of, we had a large orchard and we grew, I think, about 110, something like that, um, heritage apples. And generally speaking, I mean, you know, after the first couple of years, they were really rough and we took some sort of stick over it. But then once the balance had come back to the garden, it settled down then and we didn't need to intervene too much. So I think, you know, it's... it's um, Looking at the way that, that we are struggling now, you know, sort of you look around uh, this year with the grass, the grass has been allowed to grow quite, you know, freely around with us. And it's going to be a bumper year, I think, for insects um, because the, the, the habitat is there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of things in the garden this year, obviously quite a lot of people have taken up gardening over lockdown. And these are perhaps people that will now be looking at heading back to work and will have slightly less time in their gardens so do you have any tips or shortcuts that might help people stick with their new hobby um i would just say you know there is so much these days that you can grow in tubs and containers um so even if they they they, they are limited to staying around the home then look through the catalogs for flowers, vegetables, and, and fruit in some cases, and grow in containers, and it'll give you that pleasure. Uh, but, you know, sort of, but grow the things that you really enjoy growing and the things that you want. Don't grow things for the sake of them and buy the rest outside, but just keep in touch with with nature. It's a, it's a great stress buster, whatever happens. And if you can't um, raise your own plants, and I bike not a lot, but I, I buy plug plants because I don't have a greenhouse. Um, the garden's not really that large, but um, and I couldn't put one on the allotment. And I just think that um, do everything you can to help yourself and, and stick with it. And it, the, the benefits come, you know, in ways that you can't even imagine. You know, you come in with a, a dish of strawberries that you, you've grown. It may only be one dish. But, you know, you've grown them and you sit there and you, you know what's gone into them. So stick with it. Stick with it. Just don't, you know, sort of, you can go out with a with a glass of wine or a cup of tea in your hand and walk around. You can do a little bit of pinching out, a little bit of, you know, training back. It's um, great for unwinding. Mm. Just don't give up. Yeah, I think those can be the really pleasurable bits, can't they? The bit when... In whether it be at lunchtime in the middle of the day or at the end of the day, just stepping out into the garden and having a little look round at all the plants. And as you say, it is a real stress buster. It's, it's, it is. I mean, sort of, um, 
having breakfast in the garden, sitting there, you know, amongst something that you've grown, maybe a plant that's got a, a scent to it, or you're looking at the, the beans getting up the sticks or the lettuce putting on the weight, even if you're growing in, in troughs. Um, it's just just one of those things, you, you see the insects coming back to the garden um, and you begin to realise that sort of, You've been accepted. You've created a space that's operating on more than one level. You can sit in it. You can watch. I love watching the bees work the different plants. You know, they. you think they work so hard. They're out first thing in the morning and last thing at night. And I think, you know, it just takes your mind off, you know, um, worries then. And then you just sit there and before you know it, it's getting dark and you're being called in. As well, it just makes you feel good about yourself, if nothing else as well. Um, I. I'm always taken aback by how I just feel a sense of pride. I'm like, I grew these things, you know, I did this. This is it's just a um sometimes nice just to feel good about yourself, I think. Well I, I think there's a there's a connection there, you know. When you've got your allotment, that's your kingdom, isn't it? Yeah. You know, or or your garden. Um no no one say you can't be told what to do, but you you really run it. And I think it's just somewhere where you completely switch off and as you say you grow something you take it away there's a certain pride i think it's the satisfaction levels are so high mm. that's the reward um you know when you've spent most of the winter sort of either digging carting or tidying up or moving things around and then you grow something and it's it's you know the middle of summer and then all of a sudden everything seems to fall into you know perspective so i think yes it it's, occupies your mind and your body and at this time of year, obviously, uh, winter is on its way as much as I don't want to admit it sometimes. Um, but a lot of thoughts will be turning to next year in the garden. And and one thing that I'm thinking about a lot at the moment is how I can boost my soil and and improve it a bit ready for for next spring. So have you got any tips on that, on, on the best way to kind of add nutrients back in? Well, I must admit, I'm, I'm intrigued by no dig. Yes. And I... And I think it's a solution for lots of people because one of the, I think the main obstacles is is not the physical nature of garden, but it's the amount of time it takes up to carry out the operations. Mm. And I think no dig helps you to, you know, sort of get round that. And in some ways, you're not disturbing the soil because it, it's it's emerging now that we, in some ways, we partly. Um, depleting the soil of flora and fauna by constantly digging it and turning it over all the time. So I would say less cultivation if you don't want to go no dig. Um, put all of your organic material, whatever it is, on the surface of the soil in the spring and just lightly fork it into the top six, eight inches or so. Sounds good. And then let that settle down and work from that and add everything from above. My father gardened on Essex clay and he grew absolutely beautiful stuff. Um, and that's the way that he got around it. But you you have to sort of take care of of drainage and things. But I think the it's not so much adding fertilizers all the time. I think add as much organic matter as you can on the surface, roughly two to four inches deep at the most. And you needn't do all of the garden. If you divide your garden up into sections, put it where the potato crop is, say, or where um, squashes and pumpkins and marrows are going to go, because they have a high water sort of demand and obviously the the organic matter will act as a sponge and hold on to moisture and then the next year when your rotations go through you can move along and that way you can get round your your plot mm-hmm. um once every four years you come back to where you started and 
the other thing now that's sort of coming to be accepted is uh, green manures yes. that you put on the soil. And the way that we've had these very, very heavy rains in the, in the wintertime, they protect the surface and they lock the nutrients up. It's just give yourself about a month's notice before you want to use a piece of ground so you can, next February into March, you can knock the green manure down, you can allow it to wilt before you dig it in. Um, so finally, we'd just like to finish off by asking what you would say the biggest lesson that you've learned in the time that you've been growing is. I think the one thing that's really come out is just go with the flow. Don't try and fight the site or what, whatever you're given, you know, sort of work with it and try to sort of gradually understand it, find out the microclimates, where it's frosty, where it sort of drains, where it holds water, um, where there's shade. If you look around an allotment site in the winter, I made, not this mistake, but it happened to me, uh, I thought that was a nice site. I didn't notice all the trees alongside it. And when it came to the summertime, of course, they were pinching moisture and they were casting shade. Yes. But because they were sort of last on the site, you give them one of those sort of plots, aren't you? Um, But I think, you know, sort of, just gradually look at it and don't try to do everything all at once. You know, if you do something, you don't do things wrong in gardening. This is all down to experience. You just learn by it. You think what happened, what went on, I understand now. And don't be afraid to ask your neighbours, whatever they are, look at what they are growing. Um, but I think it's just, the key thing is don't try to force the issue. Because if you, you do that, then you'll end up, you know, sort of frustrated. You can learn so much by talking to people, especially the people that are growing nearby, can't you? So Yes, I, I always remember the, coming back to my first allotment and this chap came up to me when we, we were passing in the lane and he said, um, oh, I've left some beetroot on your plot. And I went down, I was expecting to see some beetroot ready for the kitchen and he'd left some plants there. And I looked at them and I thought, is that what he meant? And um, I, I just ignored him. He, he, he then called me a couple of days later and I said, you haven't put those plants in yet. And I said, where? <laughs> he said, those plants. I said, you can't transplant beetroot. He said, who said? And anyway, he gave me some fresh ones and I did. Not all of them grew, but they, they did. And it was the way that, you know, they used to work that way. So always be prepared to learn yes. that's the beauty of gardening there's always something to learn every day this lockdown i started off with my college notes and i sort of gradually read my way through the season like that and it's surprising you think that i know that um well it's been really great chatting to you thank you so much for coming on today and sharing sharing lots of your expertise we'd better go and get dan and crack on with our team chat Good afternoon, Dan. Good afternoon. How are you all doing? All right? Very good. good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you very much. Thank you for tearing me away from my computer for five minutes. I love being part of this. Oh, oh no problem. I can't believe we've got Any you back time. for a second time this series. What a treat. I know. I didn't think you'd have me back again after last time. <laughs> back by popular demand. <laughs> um, so, guys, strap yourselves in. I have got a story for you. In the Metro, there's a story about growing when you have no garden of your own and growing veg on your balcony and 
it is introducing us to a company called Pot Gang. You might be you might be asking, who are Pot Gang? What do they do? Well, I will tell you. Pot Gang is a London-based monthly delivery box of grow your own materials, which includes seeds, pots, compost, and seed sowing advice. So basically, what they do is they deliver their monthly boxes to make it easy for new and urban growers to get started on their grow your own journey. So they provide it can be either monthly or bi-monthly, you choose how it works, and they send the seeds pots that they need to grow in and then if you want any advice on growing they're there for you as well love it this sounds so cool I want to tell everyone I know that lives in London to do this yeah I mean and it's a shame it's only in London basically if you're now in the M25 you've got no excuse whatsoever as to not be growing everyone should be this is true and the website is potgang.co.uk and if you go on there you can see there are some natty little illustrations of all of the veg in cartoon form which is your favorite oh i don't know electra oriental leaf mix looks like she knows what she's doing with her life i don't know i think if i had to be friends with one of them poorly looks like they'd be a good laugh <laughs> <laughs> i'm just reading the intro i didn't realize this you might have just said this and i missed it but it's um lockdown born idea Yes, I don't think I did say that. And that was a crucial bit of information. So thank you for flagging that. But yeah, I think that's so it's quite new is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's quite cool that it has only just started this year. Clearly, they've seen the rising demand for growing stuff, especially in cities and urban spaces. Yeah, absolutely. And I think making it a bit accessible as well. Like they also say on their website that um, a lot of the advice is quite formal and serious whereas if you're just getting into growing and you're just growing in a few pots on your balcony and stuff maybe you don't want the full the full shebang so I think it seems like a really a really great idea that can definitely appeal to a whole new yeah I'm just reading we thought it was a good idea to start pulling people out of the grow your own sinkhole of internet advice to show them they don't need to be no Monty done to grow fresh varied food at home Mm. I just think it demystifies what you're able to do. Even if you've got like a tiny little area, there's so much you can still grow. Um, And if you're looking at quick turnaround times as well, even things like radishes are so easy, but hopefully this will bring more people through to the gardening world. It's a great idea. Saffron, the rainbow radish, is part of the seed gang. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, it... um... I think if any small space growers are looking to expand their repertoire, then check them out. Yeah, Pot Gang. Find them on your usual um, search engines. Just make sure you put them in as one word. Otherwise, you might find something else. (laughs) And we do not take responsibility for that. No. Um, I think what's really cool about this one last thing is I'm just thinking ahead now. I'm like, oh, Christmas is coming. What am I going to get people? It's actually quite a cool present idea if you do know... I just like forcing my interests on friends that probably have no interest in it to be like, I like this thing, so I'm going to now force you to have this subscription. But I think it would go down quite well. Seems like a good gift idea to me. What do you think? Yeah, I think after you force people to go out and subscribe to our magazine as a gift idea, then they can go out and do that afterwards. (laughs) Well, I mean, they go hand in hand really nicely. Um, so last time, Dan, when you were on, we were, Laura, you might not know this, but we were talking about gardening gimmicks. And actually, um, I got a good press release the other day about a 
gardening gimmick that I thought was quite cool. And it's pencils that have seeds in them so that when you've finished, you know, when you get like really small pencils at the end because you've just been writing your drawing so much stuff yeah. and you then have to chuck it out. Well, you don't chuck it out. You plant it in some soil and then the plants grow from it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I really like that idea. How, how long does it take? Because I'm, I'm guessing it's got all of the like nutrients and kind of like feeds and stuff in, in the nib of the pen as well. I don't really know how long it takes for the, the pencil must have to break down a bit before it can start growing. Or are the seeds in like a casing in the end or something? Maybe. I mean, what I would personally like to do is I'd like to get one of these pencils, water the top of it every so often as I'm writing. <laughs> so then I'd have like a plant on the end of my pencil. That sounds you like can a try fun that idea. one wow. out. Report back to us, Dan. Report back. I love stationery and I love plants, so it yes. feels like a really good fusion of interests here. Mm. And it is a pencil that you can then justify adding to your stationery collection. Yeah, because it is also being added to your plant collection. I, I'm I'm also a big fan of like potted plants in the office around desks and things like that whether it's at home or whether it's at work so now you've got the perfect excuse because you just stick it in a little pot of soil on your desk once you finish writing. Yeah. This is true. I think that's really cool. Every office needs this. Yes that's a really cool idea. I mean not not to lower the tone at all but let, let's go from gifts to theft. Um, so <laughs> I, I found Natural an interesting next step. Yeah, I, I found an interesting story because I know you guys um, like us to come to the table with something. Mm. And in, well, Devon and Cornwall Police have been having a bit of a problem. Uh-oh. There's been thieves going around digging up gardens and pinching potatoes i would be livid if someone had been doing that to my crop i have got to i've got to pull up at my potatoes probably this weekend but this is making me think maybe i should do it this evening um <laughs> but yeah clearly the, these crooks aren't get afraid to get their hands dirty so devon and cornwall police have issued a warning to residents in a north cornwall town after a rather unusual theft so it's a post on facebook um that brought us to my attention the wadebridge police said they've received reports of the theft of new potatoes from a garden in Wadebridge. Now, I would like to point out this that must be quite, I would say, a well-off, nice area if the theft of potatoes is the biggest thing on their agenda. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. Like, I, I, as I've said, I'd be absolutely livid. Yeah. But if the Wadebridge police feel like that's top of their social media agenda, that sounds like a lovely place to live. Yeah, but I mean, as you say, if someone did steal your potatoes, you would want that to be I would be still be really annoyed. Top news. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I need to ask you both, actually, like Laura and Blake, where were you on Monday, the 31st of August? <gasps> oh, my God. Busted. Oh, Laura yeah. and I actually took a little trip downtown <laughs> <laughs> and then we had a nice meal. So if we're not on the podcast next week. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if you're in the West Park area of Wadebridge, oh, you, you're going to have to argue and speak to these police. But like on a serious note, you do hear about problems, not just in gardens, with allotments and everything as well. Yeah. So do do keep an eye on your stuff and make sure you're, you're keeping it all safe. The last thing you want is tatties nicked. It's really sad, isn't it? You just, uh, you're like, why would people do this? It just feels like a really frustrating thing to happen. Also, it's like, I know I'm missing the point spectacularly here, but it's quite a lot of effort. Yeah. To dig up. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. It's, not it's not like something pinching like, some like soft roots off like the a bush. Or like, yeah. <laughs> and it's not like you can flee the scene halfway through if you were <laughs> the tater appropriator. Um, 
Well, look, if, if anyone out there has any information on these tatty tiddlers, please do contact the Devon and Cornwall police because it's, it's a very serious issue that needs to be resolved. There are a couple of crop crooks. Oh, oh my goodness me. <laughs> oh, dear. I mean, I know we're laughing, but it is serious. Because yeah. you would be so disappointed if it was yours. Uh, but yeah, I mean... If you've had any strange experiences with anyone stealing anything from your plot or garden that you can't imagine how you can sort of swipe it quickly, then do let us know. We'd And there was that story recently as well about that um YouTube gardener who somebody like chucked paint over his allotment. This was a few weeks back. Oh, and sounds awful. Just yeah, no idea, but um just needless vandalism. Such a shame. Yeah, it really is because people put time and effort into their pots. So it's very, very inconsiderate and gutting when stuff like that happens. Yeah. Well, I have some jobs on the plot to go through in a minute. But I think, Blake, before that, shall we crack open a beer? If you love to kick back with a cold and refreshing beer at the end of a hard day's work on the plot, then we've got an offer you won't want to miss. The kind people at Beer 52 are offering a free case of eight craft beers sourced and curated from the best breweries on the planet. All you need to do is go to www.beer52.com forward slash dirt and cover the $5.95 for postage. Each case is delivered directly to your doorstep, so no need to leave the house. If dark beer is not your thing, you can simply choose the light option and your case will come with the award-winning beer magazine Ferment and a tasty snack. We've been lucky enough to enjoy a case ourselves and the choice and quality of the beers is fantastic. You'll get different beers every time, so you can go on a real voyage of discovery and find your new favourite breweries and beers. So, to claim your eight free craft beers and just cover the $5.95 postage, head to www.beer52.com forward slash dirt. That's the word beer followed by the numbers 5 and 2.com forward slash dirt. And now, we will head over to this week's Jobs on the Plot. This week, it's likely that your time will be equally split between the kitchen and garden, so your harvests don't go to waste. It's the time of bottling, freezing, preserving, drying, and keeping those delicious tastes of summer to enjoy over the colder months. This doesn't mean you can put your feet up in the garden, though. There's still plenty to do. If you have any patches of bare soil, it's a good idea to sow green manures now. These plants not only preserve soil fertility, but also help to suppress autumn weeds, so it's a win-win. You can still get a few sowings in the ground now too. Salad leaves, radishes and spinach are all good choices and can give you speedy autumn harvests. If you haven't pruned your stone fruit trees yet, you'll want to get this annual prune done soon, so get to it. If you're unsure on how, check out the October issue of Grow Your Own, where Carol Klein is sharing her expert tips. There'll be plenty to add to your compost heap at the moment, as spent plants are coming out of the ground and the plot tidy up begins. But do remember to keep a balance with brown woody material. Too much green matter can make it slimy. 
Equally, if you're finding your heap isn't rotting down, you'll need to add some more greens. After a productive summer, your herb garden is likely to be feeling a little tired, so now is a great time to apply a liquid feed to give the plants a little boost. You'll likely be rewarded with a final flush of foliage. If you want to add to your herb bed, you can sow hardy herbs now too, and you'll have little robust plants by the time spring comes round. We hope you're enjoying the fruits of your labour, and as ever, we'd love to see what you've been up to in the garden, so do get in touch on our social media platforms. Until next time, happy growing! Thanks again for listening to The Dirt. And don't forget to subscribe for free to make sure you never miss an episode. We'd love it if you rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tell all of your lovely garden and allotment neighbours. Plus, as a special treat, we've got an exclusive Grow Your Own magazine offer just for the dirt listeners. Head to growfruitandveg.co.uk forward slash gpod7, that's g-p-o-d and the number 7, or call 0800 904 7000 and quote GPOD7 to receive seven issues of our magazine Grow Your Own straight to your door for just $29.99. That's $11.94 off. Every issue is edited by me and the team and is packed with gardening advice and jobs to tick off your list And a big bonus, each magazine comes with a selection of free seeds so you can get growing straight away. Check the episode notes for details and terms. And a final exciting note, do you or someone you know have great gardening advice, dirty gardening secrets or funny plot disasters? You could be our next podcast guest. Email thedirt at growfruitandveg.co.uk to let us know.